Today I have on Katie. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, really looking forward to uh, chatting and appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Logan. Happy to be here. Perfect. Um, I always start each conversation with a little bit more background on yourself uh, and kind of your journey into crypto. I think everybody can kind of approach it from a different angle and then ultimately still end up in crypto, which I find is fascinating. So I'd love to start with just who you are, how you kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole and uh, where you're at today. Sure. Um, so, I mean, for those of you who are not familiar with me, um, I'm the director of research at ARCA. So I oversee all of the investment research that goes into um, our three fund strategies. And I'm happy to get into those later. Um, my background though, for, um, helping start and build ARCA five years ago. Um, I've worked mostly with uh, startups in the fintech space. Um, so, def, you know, didn't really necessarily have that traditional Wall Street uh, investment background. Um, and it, actually, at one of the fintech firms I was at, they decided to start a little VC fund. So I also worked on that. And that was kind of where I got my exposure to early stage investing. Um, in terms of how I got, I learned about crypto. One of the co-founders of the company I was working at at the time had actually invested in the Ethereum crowd sale. Um, he was super early to the space. So he educated me um, like back in 2014. And probably my biggest mistake was like not buying a ton of ETH and Bitcoin then. But um, it was a uh, you know, really long time ago, very abstract idea um, and really different. Right? At the time, I'd been kind of focused on looking at like angel investments, early stage businesses. And in my head, I was like, these don't have a revenue model. Like how does this you know, kind of really work? Um, and it really, you know, I think the, there's been such a huge paradigm shift in terms of like how we kind of think about value in networks. And that's what been, has been so interesting to me about this space. Um, so anyway, I learned a lot about, you know, crypto from like kind of the early days. Um, but it wasn't really until the 2017, I would say like ICO craze that um, a lot of startups started coming to me and saying, hey, we want to actually implement a token uh, model into our business somehow. And so I ended up having kind of doing research on my own, learning about it, educating myself so I could kind of like give a lot of them, you know, some advice on, you know, how they could approach the space or think about it. Um, and that's when I started to fall down the rabbit hole, started working with some friends who were, you know, specifically trying to do something in crypto, either start a hedge fund, um, implement a token into their uh, business model. Uh, and it was on my like last consulting gig with one company that I actually met the founders of Arca. Um, and they really were, you know, very professional in how they were approaching the space, thinking about it from like a long-term perspective and really thinking about how they get kind of institutional investors in the door um, in this new and burgeoning asset class. Amazing. Yeah, it's 2017. I also, you were definitely in, in before I, but 2017 was an interesting time. Uh, lots of things going on. I think every bull market is kind of great in the sense that it just draws more people in. But I think the biggest thing from 2017 today is at least we have usable products today. We're in 2017. It was mostly white papers. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I can't even tell you, I still remember trying to make investments in 2018 and I was like, there's nothing there. These are, these are like vaporware right now. Um, yeah. so I, I definitely think we've come a you know, really long way, which has been amazing. Um, I think back to five, six years ago and I'm like, wow, I can't believe how far we've come. Definitely. It, it's been a crazy uh, journey for sure. So you mentioned uh, ARCA and you had three funds. Could you kind of go into uh, what is ARCA? Uh, what are they trying to do? Kind of the different funds. 
Sure. Um, so Arco is an investment management firm focused exclusively on digital assets and bringing uh, kind of access to digital assets to um, sophisticated investors. So um, we have like two sides to our business. One is a traditional asset management side. So that's what I work on. Um, we basically have funds that investors can access digital assets through today um, through like more familiar fund structures. So like we have a liquid hedge fund um, that invests in just liquid tokens. Then we also have like a venture fund for early stage investments, um, investing in equity tokens, um, whatever, you know, kind of fits that uh, fits that early stage nature of that business. Um, and then we also have an NFT fund, uh, which is, you know, supposed to gain access to the entire NFT ecosystem, whether it's through the NFT assets themselves, infrastructure projects, um, <clears throat> or tokens in, you know, those ecosystems. It just really depends. Um, so that, that was kind of our goal was to give investors access through more of these more of these traditional vehicles. But as we kind of know, a lot of those vehicles are limited to, you know, investors of a certain um uh, a certain kind of wealth uh, bracket in terms of, you know, either essentially institutional or really, really high net worth. Um, and so on the other side of our business, we're actually looking at building um, on what we call our lab side. We're actually looking at building um, products that are much more based within the blockchain ecosystem in terms of like actually being issued on Ethereum, for example, um, or actually, you know, giving kind of more broad exposure to um, digital assets, whether it's, you know, for example, we have a Bitcoin trust. Um, that uh, you know, event that we were you know hoping eventually non-accredited uh, investors could get access to, since that is kind of uh, something that people are restricted from right now. So those are the kind of different, more I would say, like futuristic pro uh, investment products that that side of that business is working on. Amazing, yeah. It's. I wish it wasn't this way in terms of like the accredited investor. I, I think what I do appreciate about crypto is that because the life cycle of a lot of these projects in terms of like time to market or kind of with tokens often launching much sooner than they would in the traditional IPO sense, retail has access to them as well. But uh, at least today we have to kind of play within the guidelines uh, on like the fun side. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, so you mentioned the f three funds. You have the hedge fund, uh, the or the liquid hedge fund, uh, the venture fund, and then also the NFT fund. Um, across those, you're leading uh, the research. How do you kind of approach research in the blockchain and crypto space? Because I think there's many different paths to kind of take. Um, could you kind of walk us through like your approach on a high level? Sure. Um, so, I mean, kind of like what you were talking about, Logan, with uh, tokens kind of not fitting into this more traditional framework, um, you kind of have to approach re research in the same way. Um, what I try to explain to a lot of people who are new to the space is that investing in token projects is a lot like investing in um, liquid venture capital. So you kind of have to take a very similar approach to um, analyzing kind of these companies as early stage startups. Um, the only difference is that they have this kind of like capital market um, available to them in terms of like that liquid token and how it can trade. Um, and so obviously, you know, we don't have frameworks for, you know, how they should be treated, how they should trade, what disclosures they should provide. Um, so that is always like the, you know, tricky part of getting involved in the space and always what I explain to people when they're like, well, how do I invest in crypto? How do I get exposure? And I always remind them, like, just keep in mind, these this isn't like, you know, going into your Fidelity account and buying like Apple stock. Um, so, you know, the way we, I really approach, um, research in 
in uh, digital assets is thinking about it, like I said, from this kind of like liquid venture capital um, profile. So looking at something, you know, analyzing like an early stage business, but then understanding like how the token might play a role in its current business and its uh, future business as well. And looking at, you know, not just, okay, is this a strong business? Does it have strong revenue, strong team? But looking at the token, like, does it make sense in their product? And does it have a future in their product, depending on like kind of what their roadmap suggests? So, you know, I do think, you know, in popular opinion, probably like most projects probably don't need tokens. Um, I think that, you know, the space is definitely struggling with figuring out how do we, you know, add a token in, which has been this insane, amazing innovation for the space. But how do we continue to kind of kind of have it, uh, you know, provide value? And we're seeing, I think, more experiments with um, projects that, for example, are uh, not, you know, kind of uh, separating out each uh, different, I guess, each different kind of um, piece in an ecosystem. Um, you're seeing more things bundled together and kind of labeled as public goods versus this is a, you know, one off. To this, this token is going to provide value just on its own. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So you're approaching it on a high level from like the product standpoint and then evaluating like how tokens play a role within that ecosystem or a specific project. Yeah. And then it, it depends, like for early stage venture, for example, there's a lot less to, you know, kind of evaluate or go on. So we spend a lot more time like getting to know the team, getting really deep there. Um, the NFT projects are also a kind of different, very different ballgame um, kind of, you know, for us, we, I, I think a lot of our investing also depends on what makes sense to us thematically. Um, at the end, beginning of each year, we kind of sit down and map out all the themes of what we think will, you know, outperform, um, you know, kind of over like the 12 to, uh, I would say like 18 month time period. And based on that, we kind of use that as our framework for how we go out and look for certain uh, investments to fill those like themes. Um, yeah, I would say another piece that we also look at, um, which has been really cool, but as the market has matured, um, you don't just have like one product in each sector. You do have these like fairly um, not crowded sectors, but there's usually like one to two competitors per product, um, which I think is important because it does then allow you to like compare them against each other. So looking at and tracking kind of like me, I would say like, uh, like top KPIs from, you know, projects either like in the L1 space or in like the decentralized exchange space, like the, that really can help uh, give you a good indication of like, what is, you know, performance like for these projects. Definitely. I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, the metrics as well. I think, I think the hardest part here or in metrics, what most people don't look at is on the user side, it, it frustrates me that there's not as many users, but I'm optimistic, uh, will those will continue to grow over time. But one thing that you said kind of stuck out to me was like on the key themes component, you and Arca ultimately, uh, started the firm or joined the firm in 2018. And what have the themes that you, on a high level, at least research uh, that you have kind of started from 2018 to today? Wow. Oh, well, if we're going back into the uh, the vault um, of uh, themes. I mean, you don't have to go all the way, way back, back, but right? maybe, maybe some of the more recent themes as well. Yeah. So happy to talk about kind of like what our themes are for like this year, our outlook. But, um, you know, Perfect. some themes that I think we were fairly early to identify. Um like way back when the firm started was so in 2019, I think like one theme we really were interested in was DeFi. And actually back then there wasn't a whole lot outside of MakerDAO. 
Um, and I think that eventually like SNX like came on the scene and like yield farming all, you know, all of a sudden took off. So those were kind of some of the early, uh, like themes we were looking at. Um, it's really funny in 2020, we kept being like, NFTs are going to blow up. NFTs are going to blow up. They're going to do really well. Um, and it actually took until like end of 2020, 2021 before that area kind of really saw a lot of, um, maturation to the point where you had, you know, lots of different projects kind of giving you that type of exposure, um, trying to think of some other areas. I think, you know, cross-chain interoperability, that was like a big theme for us in 2021 in terms of looking at like what projects are going to be these connectors for different blockchains. Um, again, maybe slightly early. I think that, you know, we're seeing more of that play out in the last, in 2022 and even this year. Um, and uh, so those are kind of like some of the themes I would say from our past that, uh, you know, we were really uh, interested in looking at. Um then kind of like themes, I guess, for this year, like very more, and these are much more specific, I think, than previous years. Um, a lot of it kind of uh, evolved out of looking at what is that next leg of adoption? Like, how do we really get more people into the space? So um, some of the themes we're looking at um, right now are how are um, Web2 businesses implementing their digital assets um, strategies and how does that kind of help bring in more users? Um, so a big one, I think that a lot of people have been watching that was like really well, uh, um, so, you know, telegraphed last year, for example, was uh, the um, Starbucks um, launching their on Odyssey campaign. Um, and I know that like, you know, the primary beneficiary that was like Maddox, it was built on their, uh, on their, uh, um, on their L2. But, you know, what is what does a Starbucks do in terms of like, do they bring in a million users? Do you get, you know, people creating wallets, people, you know, spending on gas fees? Um, so we're still kind of looking at how that evolves. I think that a lot of these Web2 companies, like one per, like one of them kind of needs to crack like that code for how do you run a successful campaign and like, what does it look like? And then you'll have a lot of others kind of like pile on the bandwagon launching their own. Um, so, so those are kind of like the early, you know, and this might be a theme, by the way, that takes two years to see, you know, kind of like come to fruition. Um, but definitely one thing we're watching. Um, another is kind of more, um, kind of just more practical, which is, you know, scaling um, and layer twos, like, you know, the space we've, we've seen that like the UX UI is very difficult and hard to deal with. And, uh, you know, if you really want to bring in like that next million or billion users into crypto, we can't have people trying to like mess around with like setting up wallets and keys and, um, struggling to, you know, bridge assets from one place to another and pay gas in 20 different tokens. Like it's just gotta be way, a, a much smoother process. Um, and then what kind of like, you know, also dovetails into that is like part of that, you know, kind of frustration is we need better security. Um, you know, I think more rigorous testing, um, in addition to like better UX is like all, you know, those are all kind of bundled into like, how do you bring in a lot more people? You just, you need a better product. Um, I think last year, especially like, I don't even remember what the total tally was, but how many bridge hacks do we have? Um, you can't have a bridge hack if you're going to have Microsoft like deploying, uh, any infrastructure on top of your, you know, blockchain. So it's just, we've got to like, these things have got to get corrected and be perfect before it's ready for prime time. Um, and then another thing we're really watching, but again, this is really more playing out. I think in the early stages still is, um, centralized identity. Um, but it's more just the idea that, uh, you know, you can do a lot more with, um, you can do a lot more with products, whether it's in DeFi, um, whether it's with these Web2 businesses, if we have, um, you know, some sort of either credit scoring system or KYC that's on chain, 
Um, and I think like as this, this space also gets more regulated, you're really going to need, um, you know, these on-chain KYC products are going to become absolutely necessary. Yeah. So high level, like key themes going forward being, uh, web two companies coming into the space, continuing kind of the scalability front, and then also just, um, user identification on chain or, uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. So maybe starting with the kind of web two companies, how do you think, I guess like one thing that I think a lot about is kind of balancing, um, I guess like choosing or cr picking the correct chain to build on, uh, because I get nervous sometimes when I feel like these companies that aren't as sophisticated are picking different chains. And then ultimately, if they do find some product market fit, uh, kind of outgrow that underlying infrastructure that they've built on. And so over the long term, I'm very curious, like how these partnerships will kind of continue to play out. And if they have to migrate, do you guys, does the team think a lot about kind of the underlying infrastructure of these like uh, chains, these web two companies that are coming in? Or how do you think about um, just web two companies onboarding into web three more broadly? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I think that um, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, some of the underlying technology. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we also look at kind of like the projects that have been most successful, it, especially when we're talking about layer ones and layer twos, it's a lot less about the tech. Um, I know we don't want to admit that. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of these companies or these projects that have done very well, they've had really good business development and they've managed to kind of attract brand names to them. Um, now, at the end of the day, I will be honest, I have no idea what the diligence process is like at these places. Like, are they really like evaluating the technology stack appropriately? Do they have somebody on their team who knows enough about blockchain and smart contracts and all these other, you know, factors to select the right, you know, L1 or uh, layer two. Um, I do think that, you know, yeah, there, there could be a potential, you know, problem, I guess, later down the road. Um, but I also, I, I do believe to an extent that some of these projects that they're attracting kind of like, you know, whether it's Matic getting people like Starbucks involved or, you know, other projects like Flow, you know, signing people like uh, Ticketmaster and, you know, MBA, like they're, 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 they're uh, you know, they're they getting those, co those um, customers with the understanding that they, they know they cannot, you know, uh, make any potential mistakes. Um, because that will be the end of that, you know, I guess, partnership that they've kind of forged. Um, and so for a lot of them, you know, and I, again, these are the problem, I guess, is, is that these are all backroom agreements, right? Like, it's not like there's anything on chain where we can see like, okay, this is what Polygon and Starbucks have agreed to. This is what Flow and the, and, um, the uh, Ticketmaster have agreed to. You're, you're more kind of trying to understand like, what is it uh, that, you know, could go wrong in the future? Um, I think like, probably the biggest like uh criticism that i've seen for a lot of these um alt um l1 partnerships and some of the layer two scalings is that uh you know some of their solutions are super centralized um and that i know makes a lot of people in digital assets uncomfortable because that does you know potentially um open up a lot of vulnerabilities to them um i think that uh what project or what people should still remember though is that 
although they might be more centralized, that is actually a benefit in to an extent for some of these, you know, Web2 companies. Because for a lot of them, the question is like, well, what happens if, you know, this goes wrong or what happens if this goes wrong? Um, so, you know, for them to feel like there is some, you know, maybe slightly better measure of control over the ecosystem, I think gives them a bit more comfort um, in kind of pursuing uh, these alt L1s. I also think a lot of them look at the practical side, you know, like Ethereum is really expensive um, and gets congested if there's a lot of activity. It's not it's not going to work for them to have like, you know, a uh, for them to, for them to be able to have like a really strong um a really strong kind of like user base that's excited about it. It kind of comes back to the UX problem. Like we just can't have, you know, the uh, the speed and the fees that uh, we have on uh, like Ethereum right now. Makes sense. When you're kind of doing the research and due diligence, how much, or not due diligence, but just like in your thought process and like some of these themes across the ecosystems, how much weight is kind of put towards like the partnership side versus like the tech, I think right now, like even within the bear market as the knives are kind of coming out, as you mentioned, a lot of it is not on chain. There's people moving from one to a chain to another. A lot of the space is super tribal. Everybody's like, why'd you move here? Why'd you move there? How, what role do you kind of think like BD plays versus just purely kind of the technical point of view? I mean, I, I think it's everything. Like, I know people people will disagree with me on this take, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think that, um, and this is a problem I saw in the beginning when um, I started in the space full-time in 2018, which is that uh, the mantra for a lot of projects was like, if you build it, they will come. Um, and that is just, it's absolutely false. It, just because you have a great product out there or you think you have great tech, it doesn't mean that people are going to suddenly, like, flock to come and build on you. Um, first of all, people don't know you exist. Um, people don't know how to trust you. And they don't really understand what the benefit is when you have so many different like layer ones. Um, well, at the time it was all mostly layer ones. Like what is the benefit of using this one over another? Um, I think right now the um, benefit of having good BD is that you do, you know, we, we, we at the end of the day, unfortunately are operating in more siloed ecosystems because some of the bridging tools aren't as strong um, as the layer one tools are just yet. Um, kind of goes back to what I said about like all the exploits that we saw last year. Um, so for a lot of, pro a lot of, uh, companies, you know, to say, Hey, like these other big brands are also building in our ecosystem, like that helps them because then they're like, well, then we're going to get their customers. We're not having our customers kind of like resign on a different blockchain and like, you know, doing any of this crazy bridging back and forth stuff. Um, so there, I think there are benefits, but no, I mean, I think the BD is really, really important. And I think any project that's ignoring that side of their business is just doing themselves a disservice. Yeah. BD definitely will kind of be a, it, it's definitely heating up. Uh, I, I do think Polygon does a good job of the BD side. It, it's comical. It, it's interesting just to watch everything kind of unfold on Twitter uh, during with the different ecosystems. But I definitely think Polygon is good at the BD side and getting big names to at least come and try something on the network. Um, on the, that kind of front, though, uh, you said one of the other themes was kind of scaling, and uh, it's something that you guys have placed a lot of importance on uh, for this upcoming year. How do you think about, like, the different ecosystems, L2, ETH, Alt, L1s, um, and that landscape? 
Sure. I mean, well, there's a lot going on in there, right? Um, I think for us, what's really exciting is that there's so many different solutions launching this year. Um, and a lot of solutions also, you know, launching tokens and kind of either a lot of them, I guess, have done, you know, kind of like partial launches, but we're looking to see kind of like full um, launch and integration. Um, at the same time, you know, we're finally getting to the point, too, where Ethereum, hopefully in one of its next few upgrades, will kind of implement, um, you know, protodank sharding, which will just make um, the cost of like operating rollups much cheaper. Um, so I think we're kind of at this inflection point for scaling solutions where they've been around for a lot of years. A lot of it's just been experimental, but we're finally getting to the point where, A, I think people are very like accepting and realizing like, hey, we need like layer twos to like get to this next level. And then two, um, you know, we are also seeing like Ethereum kind of move towards that roadmap where, you know, the the ETH L1 will become that, you know, that settlement layer. And we're really doing all the activity on these rollups. Um, so I think like that's that's kind of like what I see is like that's like the bull case for kind of like L2s in this next year or so. Um, I do also see, you know, uh, you know, privacy, I don't necessarily think is like a theme of ours, but I, I understand that, like, you know, when you're looking at some of the um, potential uh, zero knowledge um, <clears throat> solutions uh, that a lot of them are kind of like have that emphasis on privacy uh, going forward. Um, in terms of alt L1s, it's a. Uh, it's definitely difficult. Like each kind of um, each layer one or each uh, kind of like different type of layer one has like differing solutions or different kind of like problem, like solves to the problem, which is, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you scale transactions, but how do you like keep security? Um, you know, to that end, like the Cosmos ecosystem is super interesting. Um, you know, everything they're doing there, I think that, that is when actually an ecosystem that's been kind of like slow uh, to hit its stride, but maybe, you know, maybe this year, um, but they've done a lot of interesting stuff, right? Like if, it, you know, when interchain security hopefully gets off the ground like that, um, that'll really, I think, bring on a lot of projects. I also think it's interesting to think about like, hey, like should most projects be like their own app chain? Uh, do they need to be a separate app on top of like layer one? Um, and kind of just uh, under, like, uh, you know, thinking about like, again, like if we want things to kind of be interoperable and have them talk to each other, um, you know, product like Cosmos can be uh really, really important to kind of growing that uh, particular ecosystem. Um, and then I think, you know, you, you still have like projects like Solana, which, um, you know, I think they really proved over a lot of other, um, to a lot of people's doubt that, you know, they could attract like a really large retail following. Um, and that is really still mainly, in my opinion, kind of like their um, biggest, you know, shelling point there. Um, but again, I, I think it asks, you know, what are you, what are you really like kind of the, what are the trade-offs? What are you willing to sacrifice on, you know, a network like theirs versus like a network like Ethereum? Um, and even with them, like, you don't, you know, it's hard to ascribe value and, you know, talk about like, what are they, you know, how are they going to kind of grow into their valuation when they, you know, fees are super low. They, you know, have a very, you know, they've again, prioritized low fees, high transactions over, um, like, you know, security, which means your fees increase, which also kind of potentially like gives value to that network, right? And maybe just on that last front, on the security front, I'm, I, I spent a lot of time trying to like think about security. I, I'm curious how, how the ARC team approaches security and just like thinks about decentralization, because I found a lot of people have like different points of view on this. And I wish it would become more standard because it's not. But I'm, yeah, do you and the team like have a specific method that you approach like decentralization? 
Not really, I guess. I mean, it's not like we look at the Nakamoto efficient of like a network and we're using that to say, hey, we'll invest in this or we won't. Um, mm. Again, I kind of I look at like the security as a feature um, of a blockchain similar to, you know, what are the fees and what are um, what, uh, you know, kind of other features of those L1s. I, you know, the security is definitely important, but again, I think it also, my, my, my stance for a long time has really been like, it depends on what you're running on that particular blockchain. Um, and does it support, you know, do you need that type of security depending on the type of applications you're running on there? So, uh, you know, for example, DeFi, you know, we, we kind of think if we're going to have a lot of, you know, money locked up in an ecosystem that's running our whole finance system, then yeah, you probably do want really high security. Um, and you're willing to maybe, you know, sacrifice, um, you know, some of that speed for that security. Um, now, on the flip side, games, um, you know, if you're, you know, running uh, blockchain-based gaming products on chain, like, does that really need as high security as, uh, you know, a borrow lend vault? Probably not. Um, and that's kind of where I see, like, the difference. Um, and I know kind of like the app-specific thesis has been a bit of a one that's tossed back and forth. Um, over time. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know if it'll play out that way, but I think that's kind of how I've always looked at security is thinking about like, what is, what is the primary use here? And does it, uh, you know, does, does that primary use case really need that much security or can it kind of sacrifice the security for speed because you're trying to get in so many more users or you, you know, you, you really want that like low latency user experience. Um, I think because even when we get to the point of having, you know, everything running on a roll up on Ethereum, for example, you're still going to there's still going to be some speed issues, some lags. Um, and I think, you know, things are not going to be seamless uh, for a long time. And I think even with that in mind, you, you have to think of like, will, will people accept this for a game? Um, maybe they won't. I, I'm not sure. Um, I think we're still kind of a ways off from that. Yeah, it's it is interesting. I. I really wish like we could have a standard framework. I think it'd make the space um, easier to like kind of compare things because I think right now it's very hard to, or it's it's not, I would say not super hard to do like an apples to apples comparison, but I, I wish people, I wish it, we could kind of apply a framework to like different blockchains. Um, I think Cosmos is super interesting. In this space has a while a ways to go. So, yeah. but I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Like, I think the biggest difficulty I have is um, kind of even just standardizing, like, how do you talk about different, you know, blockchains against each other? Um, because all of them, uh, you know, even, even users, active wallets, like, you know, so much of that can be um, gamed to an extent um, or looking at DeFi projects, like the way they, uh, you know, define revenue. Um, it's, it's all very, uh, it's all very um, scattered. Yeah. On decentralization, I, I like the number of full nodes just because like, as long as one copy exists, then you can kind of have the network restart. And then I do mm -hmm. like the Nakamoto coefficient a lot because it's like a real world representation of how many people would need to collude. So on that front, like the number of full nodes is super important. Uh, the light clients get super interesting, but I don't think they matter as much for just like general network security compared to full nodes. Um, but yeah, Cosmos is super interesting just because they do allow you to connect like different networks, but the upper bound is like only 200 full nodes per, uh, per like ecosystem or per Cosmos zone. So I, 
I find that interesting. But yeah, I I don't know. Standardization across different uh, blockchains would be super interesting. I, I, it would be helpful. But um, interesting. So on the Ethereum side, uh, I guess like you guys have thought a lot about like layer twos and uh, how ultimately they play out. I'm curious, like over the long term, like do you have you guys like run any calculations to see like how much throughput or like transactions would per second would be needed to like onboard like um, five million or ten million users? Like, how do you approach like the layer two space? Um, I don't think we've actually run any calculations um, around that. As much, I think, um, you know, even as these layer twos get off the ground in the next like couple of year or the next like couple of months, like we still have some time, I think, before you see that, you know, flood of new users. Um, and again, I think like that also is, you know, cyclical in a way right now, if you look at, you know, kind of the user numbers and how the market's been, um, you know, we've been definitely kind of back in bear market territory, at least in terms of kind of like KPIs, looking at active wallets or active addresses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, no, I haven't really looked at, you know, you know, what would be the amount that you would need in terms of, you know, or at what kind of like point does the market or not the market, do, do these, uh, solutions kind of scale efficiently? Um, we've more just been looking at, and also the other thing to keep in mind too, is like most of these, you know, layer two solutions, a lot of them, um, are still super new. I think, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're still in experimental phase here. True. It's, it's very early. So I guess like on a high level, you, you're talking about different metrics that you guys look at more closely. What are the big things that you guys look internally to kind of decide or determine that like something is, uh, continuing to grow or do better? Um, just in layer twos or like just broadly? Uh, I mean, layer twos or more broadly. Okay. Um, I mean, one thing we definitely look at, like I said, is like active wallets, addresses, um, mm. you know, kind of fees, uh, even though right now, like for a lot of them, there's, you know, kind of some incentivization going on. Um, for example, like I know a lot of people are using Arbitrum quite a bit now because they have an airdrop coming. Um, you know, we know that a lot of the, I mean, Optimism just finished up their Optimism quests, uh, which was also, you know, about getting kind of like user activity up. So uh, kind of also layering on um, through that lens, like, okay, what is some of this activity actually, you know, doing? Um, I, I have a lot of problems with this metric because it gets gamed a lot, but TVL is still important. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of just understanding how many people are using a product and bridging actual value over there. Um, looking at what the ecosystems are composed of. So I know that's not as many, like not as metric driven, but like, do they have a DEX? Um, what are they primarily being used for? Is it gaming? Is it DeFi? Um, or are you seeing like the, you know, in a lot of cases, we're seeing a lot of blue chip DeFi uh, projects like Uniswap, Aave deploy on these L2s. Um, and I think that's also important for um, just offering kind of like trusted uh, or more trusted like projects or interfaces that people are familiar with on these, uh, on these blockchains. That makes sense. Uh, on the user or kind of like active addresses, have you found anything particularly interesting on like, growth or adoptions on like layer ones or layer twos? Um, I think of the broad overall trends. Um, 
I mean, look, the market activity, the tough part also with using active addresses and wallets is you don't necessarily know if that's like one individual user, right? Um, it could mm-hmm. be that somebody has made 20 wallets and they're trying to, you know, they're, they're, they're either burning a wallet every time because they don't want anybody following their activity. Um, or, you know, again, we saw this so much in 2021 was that a lot of people were farming airdrops, quote unquote, you know, trying to like up the activity from multiple different wallets in order to, you know, increase their chances of what was, you know, free money or free dividend at the time. So, um, I, I think, you know, the wallet metric is hard. It's just like, you also have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's why, um, Again, it's also why like fees are really difficult to use to kind of compare one to the other because some places like the fees are incentivized or they're super, super low. Um, or, you know, people might be gaming kind of some of those metrics. Um, we do still look at uh, developer count, I think, on each of these. Um, but again, these, uh, you know, we, we it's very commonly known that a lot of these things kind of get gamed. Uh, I would actually recommend, though, if you're interested in looking at any developer stats, like always check out Electric Capital has a... Uh, great quarterly report that they put out <clears throat> and they kind of like give a little more context around like each of those developer stats. Um, so you can use that to kind of evaluate what's going I, on I, with each blockchain. I fully agree. Electric Capital has a great report and uh, going to be chatting about with them about the, the report on the podcast soon. But uh, no, it's it's been super fascinating just to watch these different ecosystems grow. It is hard to determine some of the active addresses what i try to use now is like active fee pairs it um because it it does get difficult it's it's hard to determine um whether it's a human or not but i i don't know of any other better metric to try to determine on chain activity as of yet yeah i like that though fees uh active address fees the the accounts that are paying uh paying fees um and that you can determine like they're signing uh but it is yeah it, it's it's hard to uh hard to break down on so maybe just kind of wrapping up like the different themes that you're looking for forward to in like this upcoming year like finishing out the scaling roadmap so would you say like i mean on a high level the arca team is much more focused on like the layer two ecosystem and then also like different um cosmos uh zones um from that but like just from like the layer one layer two yeah just like on the like infrastructure and scaling side um i mean look we've we've looked at all sorts of stuff um i mean my uh my my analyst who really covers that area super deeply like he spends a lot of time in the cosmos ecosystem but you know he's also been looking at kind of some of the newer Altel ones that have come out, um, you know, obviously we've taken a look at Aptos, um, spent a lot of time on Solana. Um, we've spent a lot of time looking at, um, what are some of the other ones like Celestia, which I know is going to be like kind of on the Cosmos SDK. So definitely like we're open to exploring everything in that area. Um, and even new primitives, you know, like we, uh, you know, we've looked at projects like Canto, which I kind of, you know, maybe, uh, referred to a little at the beginning talking about like, you know, do you have a project that just the, uh, in, you know, the basic uh, nuts and bolts of a L1 are those, you know, are those just built in as like a public good? Um, so a lot of different kind of, I would say, uh, different, there's potential there for kind of different um, areas or pockets of the market. Um, but, you know, we're definitely excited, I would say, about Cosmos ecosystem and the layer twos as of now. Makes sense. Awesome. 
Uh, and then the last name on the theme side that you kind of mentioned was identity and management. Can you talk about a little bit more how you're thinking through that? Yeah. Um, so I guess like the one thing that like I kind of sat down with my team at the beginning of this year and we, we, we asked each other about like, what is, what does it take for like institutional like adoption of, uh, you know, DeFi just as an example? Cause a lot of people were really pounding the pavement for that in the last year <clears throat> and saying like, how do we, how do we get to that point where you actually have like real institutions saying, okay, we want to be doing, um, lending markets, um, or bridging like off chain assets on chain. Um, and for a lot of them, there's a few components that are just missing. One of the big ones is identity, um, or the, the ability to know who you're interacting with. So I think identity kind of gets spun up into a lot of different things, but there's a few key things that if we did have some sort of like on-chain identity system, um, that you could solve for. So the first one is KYC, which I kind of discussed a bit at the beginning. Um, the biggest issue is just institutions can get in a lot of trouble if they interact with somebody who might potentially be, um, breaking what's called the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, essentially uh, trying to launder money um, or if they're, you know, an OFAC sanctioned entity. Um, and when you're uh, obviously when you're interacting in DeFi at the end of the day, like it's, you don't, you have any, you don't have any idea. We're a trustless system for a reason. Um, but these institutions, like that's a huge barrier for them. Like they cannot possibly even think about trading on a Uniswap or taking, you know, lending out stables on Aave. If the potential is that on the other side, the person they're trading against is breaking those laws because that is, that is what you, you know, th that is what these institutions like they fear because that is what, you know, the government will come after you for. Um, and that's fair, you know, in, in, in all fairness, like that is, you know, designed to protect us from, you know, terrorism, you know, terrorist groups getting financing, um, you know, any, any of those kind of types of activities. So the first, I think, thing is that, you know, a lot of institutions would feel more comfortable if they knew they were interacting only with KYC individuals. And uh, so that's kind of like one area where you, you solve one big problem if you have some sort of on-chain identity. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, credit scoring. So as we know, the crypto market is very capital inefficient. Um, I mean, I think that uh, I, I know, you know, the unwinds, I guess, of last year kind of almost like show that, right? Is that like people were putting up, you know, collateral that wasn't necessarily like super liquid or people were like rehypothecating their collateral in multiple different places. Um, and it was all in the, you know, name of getting leverage or, you know, being more efficient. But I can tell you, even as a liquid fund, like it's very difficult to, you know, manage your, like manage your like uh, collateral all over the place. Like there's no real prime brokerage, like there is in traditional markets. Um, you know, if I am transacting on one exchange and if, you know, you're even just doing something like getting options, you have to put up collateral. Um, but the collateral, you know, may not be able to like, it really just makes it hard to kind of operate um, in that space. So to that end, um, having some sort of a credit system, whether it's more of a traditional, like, okay, you know, you have a credit score and this is what allows you to take out this loan. Or if it's more like, oh yeah, we know that, you know, this financial institution is good for this money, um, even though it's not on chain, right? It's like something from the outside world. Um, and then I think just more generally, if you package all these things up, um, you, you also get to a usability. The third piece here is like just the ease of use, right? I think like if if we have the ability for, um, if you have the ability all of a sudden for users to have an on-chain profile, um, it's just a lot easier to manage too. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, I think it's really great to see projects like ENS um, where people can have, you know, their .eth address instead of their long public key. Um, you know, the idea that eventually we want to get to the point where uh, public keys get kind of uh, become like people's email address or their phone number. Um, 
And then from there, um, on-chain identity, identity allows for actually a lot of other um, use cases on blockchain outside of what the current ones are kind of going forward. So I think very interesting kind of um, a lot of different like just you open up a lot more use cases and a lot more users by having kind of like this piece of infrastructure um, at the end of the day. But I also think there's a lot of problems and a lot of barriers to getting us there. Yeah. Do you think ultimately that manifests itself like in a hybrid solution or at the end of the day, we'll be able to create kind of a on-chain solution? That's a good question. Um, I, it's it's tough. Like I said, like I think you you know right, even right now for me, I I don't know. For example, if um, you know the biggest issue, right, is that like you almost need like a solution to come from someone like the Ethereum Foundation that then can become or like a consortium of like layer ones that say, hey, this is like a solution we're going to propose and then allow pe give people like a toolbox to adopt it, or do you have one project from the ground up that kind of um, has to make really difficult inroads with getting adoption for their product when there's so many other little products that, you know, you're going to end up with this like fragmented market. Um, so I, I think it's it's also just about the approach that these projects are going to take to kind of uh, getting getting that product or that solution out there that's acceptable. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of uh, iteration to make it happen. I, I am excited about that as well. It, it makes a lot of sense to be able to have kind of some identity on chain or some rep reputation system, uh, definitely for being able to make the space more capital efficient for sure. Yeah. Um, very interesting. And so it are, I guess on that management side, is it primarily to, um, make markets more efficient? Um, is that kind of the main driving force. And also you said like KYC and just being able to bring more international and uh, institutional uh, people into the market. Well, I, I think, yeah, you, you end up with more capital efficiency if you end up having some sort of credit scoring. Um, but also, yeah, you end up with way more dollars in the space. Like there are, there's trillions and trillions of dollars, not in crypto. I mean, the market is still so small when we look at it compared to um, compared to equities, compared to the bond market and credit market, and then even just looking at assets worldwide, real estate. Um, there's so much more beyond just our very small asset class at the end of the day. And if you can kind of unlock that additional capital to enter the ecosystem or to put more products on chain, then, you know, that, that's like the win-win scenario. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. It It is remarkable when you start kind of digging into how large other markets are and how small crypto actually is. Uh, it's really just a fraction of, as you mentioned, these larger markets. Um, on that, what, what are your come up, kind of your, maybe like just from being a player in the space for so long and uh, ultimately even being involved in 2017 to kind of this recent bull market, what are some of like the biggest lessons that you've learned from like 2018 to today? or like things that you've observed in the market that like have like continuously caught you off, like by surprise or like caught you off guard? Um, let me think, caught me by surprise. Um, I think what I've always been pleasantly surprised about uh, in, the, in, the, in this market, I'll go with something a little more positive to start is um, just like how genuine everyone is in terms of like those people, the people who are really building in this space kind of, um, you know, they have like, 
a belief in kind of the long-term promise of blockchain and crypto, whether it's, you know, from just, you know, giving um, people access in area, you know, to uh uh, find, you know, markets where they're, you know, not able to, they're not uh, currently given, um, given that access right now, or whether it is about, you know, really cutting out intermediaries and returning value more to individual people versus, you know, letting it really be, uh, uh centralized with a lot of corporations. Um, I think that, you know, you end up having a lot of people because there's a much more, I would say, uh, that ethos is kind of like what goes throughout the space. Like, regardless of like what the market conditions are, you do the people who are kind of like here in building, like they're very, very like committed to those, um, to those long-term goals. Um, I would say the things that I've been surprised about or maybe unpleasantly surprised about uh, has been definitely kind of like some of the narrative shifts. Um, and, you know, at times wondering like, uh, you know, I think there, there's definitely a lot of uh, people who are more traders in this market than there are like long-term kind of like researchers or investors. Um, and so I think a lot of the time too, is like not getting caught up in like some of those narrative shifts is like really important because, um, I think that a lot of things in the space end up being kind of more of a passing fad versus something that has like actual like staying power. Um, you know, great example, 2020 food tokens. Does anybody else remember those? <laughs> like new, De new DeFi project every day. Um, but you know, and I, 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 I did enjoy going through my phone and seeing every like food emoji getting used. Um, yeah. so, uh, but yeah, I think, um, I think those are, you know, some of the things that people continue to kind of like learn about this space is that, um, I, I, I also think, you know, things I've been surprised about, or I'm trying to kind of take learnings from is when, uh, you know, just even seeing like when a certain maybe narrative or market is kind of played out, like at what point do you, are there enough like copy paste projects where you're like, okay, this is probably, you know, probably the top here. This is going to be like a really hot, you know, this is a hot area and it's just, this is probably like the end of it, you know, doing well. Um, or you saw, you know, like rattling off a few where they definitely got overplayed, like play to earn, um, move to earn. Um, like I said, DeFi yield farming. Um, I, I, but I, I, I do think that, you know, we, we learned a lot from that, um, from all those, you know, kind of like, I would say cyclical kind of uh, moves. But um, I think uh, understanding when uh, to back off from them is probably something I'm, I'm constantly trying to, you know, work on as a investor in the space. True. How, how do you view, I guess, I mean, going back to like, there are a lot of traders, a lot of these things are much earlier than they would be in the traditional kind of equities sense. Uh, how do you kind of approach that? Like traders versus like investors and the different dichotomies. And also as you're, saying like there are a lot of themes and narrative and a lot of them can be passing fads. Uh, I guess like how, how do you kind of maintain focus during all that? Yeah. Well, I think like the biggest thing, it really does come back to kind of having like a thematic view on the space and like, what is your outlook? Um, because then you can always like really like point back to that. Um, and I mean, that's definitely a difficulty with like, you know, anybody in crypto, especially, uh, um, people either tend to, uh, have a hard time sticking to, you know, a long-term thesis or their, um, or, um, and, or they're, you know, have much more of a trading mindset versus like that long-term, that long-term mindset. Um, you know, one thing I learned early on, which I think, um, is really tough to do in this market because it moves so fast and things change so quickly is just being patient. Um, you know, a lot of investments take, you know, six to 12 months to play out. And most people in this space don't have the patience to wait for that. Um, 
And that's why, at least for me and my team, like we really emphasize like a very deep like research process. So when we do make an investment, like we can feel comfortable sticking with it for six to 12 months while that thesis plays out um, versus feeling like, okay, it didn't work immediately within a month. Like we got to ditch it and get out. Um, so, so, so that's kind of like what, how I kind of view, um, trying to separate trading from research, but it can be very difficult. Um, I will say one thing is, you know, I personally don't like to look at the screens, like prices, like 24 seven. Um, you know, I try to give myself a kind of a break, walk away, think about things. Um, but you know, a lot of it is definitely, um, you know, I think the 24 seven nature of the market, unfortunately really does, you know, doesn't really help uh, people get like that space or that distance that allows them to make um, kind of like those like uh, more sound decisions. Yeah, the 24 markets definitely make it uh, um, a little bit extra of a challenge. Um, one thing that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was also just the NFT fund and uh, being early to NFTs. I would love to learn just as we're kind of wrapping up like how you guys approach NFTs, because I find it such a fascinating space. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, this is a very new frontier. So the, a lot of this, you know, we're still kind of mapping out and figuring out. Um, I think right now, like the biggest use case, right, for NFTs has been kind of in these subsectors of metaverse. Um, and then also looking at like, you know, a lot of, like the craze to start has been like the PFP craze, right? Um, yeah. And I definitely wasn't bought into it at first. I was very skeptical of it. Same way I was with ICOs, but I'm starting to see kind of like the value around um, certain collections and communities um, that uh, have been kind of like uh, created. Um, I, you know, in terms of kind of like our outlook on, you know, NFTs, I think that, like I said, the P, the PFP area, these collections that started like that, I think was a really great way to jumpstart the space. But there's so many other um, potential use cases. Um, you know, the gaming NFTs has been another interesting one, right? With like you own owning your in-game assets. Um, while I think a lot of those models still have some way to go. Um, and I think there's a lot to do to bridge kind of like the traditional gaming world with, uh, you know, gaming in blockchain. Uh, that, that, that had a while ago. But, you know, I think it has shown there is something there that can work in terms of having your assets be transferable and tradable and not having games like act in these silos. Um, you know, some other areas that NFTs have a ton of um, use can be in things like rewards program, um, things like identity. Um, so there's other ways, like, I guess you can express that NFT theme outside of just the basic, like, metaverse, gaming, um, profile pictures. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of that now. Um, I mean, even, like, like we've talked to projects that are, like, working on, like, uh, you know, really, really, really fun stuff like, uh, you know, title deeds on NFTs on the blockchain. And it sounds so lame, but like, you're like health records uh, via an NFT on the blockchain. But it makes a lot of sense when you're really looking at like uh, record keeping and kind of, um, you know, have a whole, whole, you know, access and uh, just like data transferability. Um, so there's definitely some more interesting things like that. Um, but a lot of these use cases are still kind of developing. So, um, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to kind of move with the market in, uh, in that perspective. Yeah, the PFP era definitely caught me by surprise. I think I, yeah, I like you, I think took a while to kind of come around to it. I was much more excited about DeFi and all the food tokens than uh, all the PFPs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely been interesting to watch them at, unfold. I, I think the coolest thing that I have seen is really the communities emerge and uh, how I would say just because the space is so widespread and global that you can kind of build these individual communities and be a part of them, um, which has been cool to watch. 
Yeah. And I will say what I like about NFTs is that they're just a little bit easier for like kind of the general population to grasp. And I think they've been a really good entry point for people into digital Definitely. assets. Um, a lot more people paid attention, I think, to NFTs in the last few years. You obviously had a lot more celebrities buying them um, and kind of like looking at some of the IP rights and stuff versus, uh, you know, looking by for celebrities buying tokens. It's just a less abstract um idea for a lot of people to understand versus like, hey, we've got the world's like network of supercomputers running on Ethereum. Like when I tell people that they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was cool. I mean, I, I think Electric Capital also in the report said like 80%-ish of new wallet interactions were uh, towards NFTs, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. So for so, that reason, I think, you know, NFTs definitely have a lot of staying power um, and a lot more like kind of interesting applications that are still to come. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm excited about anything that really brings people on chain. I think there's the number that gets cited a lot for like blockchain adoption is like individual holders like that, like hold crypto assets. I think those are in the couple hundred millions, but when you actually look at like the on-chain analytics of like even Uniswap and OpenSea, like the lifetime value or lifetime number of independent addresses that have interacted with those are less than like 5 million. Um, and so it's still super, super early in terms of like blockchain usage. So anything, yeah. NFTs included, I'm, I'm super excited that they're bringing people to actually use blockchains. Definitely. But, Cool. Um, no, it, it, really interesting chat uh, and definitely appreciate your time. I guess looking forward to like the last like or going forward in like 2023, are there like any specific sectors, use cases? Uh, I know we kind of hit those main three more broadly, but are there any like specific ones that you're excited about or that you're actively investing in so like people can get in touch with you if you're building something? Sure. Um, I mean, from the venture side, you know, we're really interested in looking at, um, you know, things in the security uh, and testing space and decentralized identity, as I talked about. Um, you know, so if you're building a project there, you know, we'd love to speak with you. Um, the other, I would say, kind of main um, area that we're looking at more on, I, I think, the liquid token side, um, outside of kind of stuff that we touched on, um, also looking at kind of like uh, what... Um, you know, what do, what do users do following last year's um, kind of like misplaced trust in centralized identities? Like, do we see this return to DeFi, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, what kind of solutions continue to like pop up from that that serves uh, those folks who want to kind of more heavily interact with DeFi, whether it's like wallets um, or whether it's kind of like better, uh, you know, tools for interacting um, with products on chain, you know, is it aggregators on top of Uniswap, stuff like that. Um, there are kind of some other interesting areas that we're, uh, we're very excited about. Okay, perfect. Well, awesome. I hope people reach out, uh, and definitely appreciate your time to come on the podcast and chat and, uh, share all the things about how you're approaching the space, how you think about it, uh, the different funds, uh, a little bit more about Arca, uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Logan. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Katie.